Matthew 24. We're going to do a little bit of review of what we've been talking about and then dive into today's message. Matthew 24, 3. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples come to Him privately and ask Him, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age? What prompted this question? Well, you can look at the preceding verses. Uh, verse 1, Jesus went and departed from the temple and His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple, all that marvelous stuff that was there at that time. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. 70 A.D., Rome attacked Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed the temple and all of the beautiful buildings that are there. And the disciples asked him, when will these things be? In verse 3, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He answers the first question, I believe, in verse 15, possibly through verse 22 of that chapter. And church history is recorded that no Christians were killed during that Roman attack because Christ had warned them to get out of Dodge uh, when the time is appropriate. But the other two questions, what's the sign of your coming at the end of the age, he, he, announced, he, he begins to answer in verse 4, and he picks it back up, I believe, in verse 23. So we'll just look at verse 4 through 14 again. Jesus answered and said to them, the answer to the question, what's the sign of the end of the age? Take heed that no one deceives you. One of the signs of the end of the world drawing near is deception runs rampant. The problem with being deceived is you don't know it because you're... Yes. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. That's fulfilled in those who claim to be the way, the truth. Those who claim to be a prophet of God. And those who claim they believe in Christ, but they actually preach a impotent Christ. They preach a different Christ. And they have the freedom to do that in America. And Christ isn't saying to incarcerate those people, but He's saying beware of this kind of thing happening. It's the sign of the end of the age. Verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Wars, conflict, and threats of conflict. But see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. When you think the world can't get any worse, it gets really worse. We need to pray for France. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This isn't just countries with borders, but this is ethnic groups against ethnic groups within borders. And the crazy business going on in Iraq is, is our nation is attempting to do there what they did for South Korea. To, to restore freedom to them and allow them to become a democratically ruled nation with, with freedom of religion. But it's the people in other countries that are messing with them right now. And they need our prayers. Let's pray for them right now. Lord, we thank You for what America did in Korea. And God, I believe it's, it's the intention of our nation's leaders to do that same favor for Iraq. Lord, I pray that, that there would be a stop. Lord, what happened in Jordan, use it to, to, to restore the serious attention 
of those neighboring governments to Iraq, Lord, to put a stop to the insurgency. God, we ask You to protect our soldiers this morning. Give them wisdom, Lord. Let them not be foolish. And Lord, if there's any wrongdoers in, in their midst, I pray, Lord, that they be revealed and be dealt with. In Jesus' name, Amen. For the sake of Your kingdom. Wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But the end is not yet. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Famines many times are the result of nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Political conflict as well as, as drought and the lack of rain can cause famine. Pestilences or diseases. What, what's the latest threat we've got coming? Bird flu. Sometimes I'm not sure if all the information we have at our disposal is that helpful because it's diseases and rumors of diseases. And earthquakes in various places. We shared last week that the website for the United States Geological Survey's Earthquake Information Center uh, believes that there's over a million earthquakes a year uh, in the world. So the world is shaking. Earthquakes going on all over the place. Verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. I'm going to come back to that. This is the beginning of the end times. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So these signs are the beginning of the end. But we are assured this promise will be fulfilled by the church, I believe, that the gospel of the kingdom, the church is God's kingdom agency in the world, who are no doubt helped by the angels, who are preaching the gospel as a witness to all the nations. And there's still people, groups in the world that have not even heard the name of Jesus. But they're getting fewer and fewer every year. So, the time of the end is drawing near, I believe. But... These are times in which to endure. Verse 13 encourages us to endure. If you endure the end, you'll be saved. There's, there's an endurance to go through. Being delivered up to tribulation and being killed is ex being experienced by our brothers and sisters in Sudan and other countries of the world where there's not religious freedom. They're being killed because they believe in Jesus. But don't be dismayed. We have this promise. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Everybody say, all the world. All the world. Well, how can that be if Christians are getting killed by the thousands? I believe this. That while we may experience death and intense persecution, God always protects the seed. Somewhere in the world are Sudan Christians being hidden from death. Maybe they're in America or, or some other country that are going to go back there and proclaim the gospel to their people in their language. This gospel will be preached in all the world. Alright, verse 8. Here's where we're starting today. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The word he used there for sorrows is the same word he used in the parallel passage of Mark 13 where he gives the same Rendering, answering the same questions as reported by Mark. 
This word for sorrows is the word odin, which means birth pangs. Birth pains and birth pangs. P-A-N-G-S. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Today, I would like to speak to you on birth pangs and the last days. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Birth pangs and the last days. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together with Him. So, by the Holy Spirit, we can know that we are the children of God. And by the Holy Spirit, we can know that there is a future inheritance that we will receive from Christ. We'll be glorified with Him. But sometimes in the meantime, even though we are children of God, there's suffering to go through. There's a school of prophetic interpretation in, in concerning the return of the Lord. This school of thought teaches pre-tribulation rapture. And I'm not here to throw stones at it. I'm just here to correct their terminology. When you hear the word pre-tribulation rapture, it gives you the impression the Lord's going to come back before there's any tribulation. And that contradicts what Jesus said. He Himself said in the world, to His followers, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What they're really meaning is pre-the great tribulation rapture. Actually, what they're really meaning is pre-wrath. Rapture Before God's wrath is poured out on the sons of disobedience in the earth, the church will be rescued. I believe that. So I'm a pre-wrath return of Christ guy. But pre-trib, that, you know, that's not good terminology. It's, it's uh, needing need a little adjustment there, I think. Verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about birth pains. I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in the future. This reminds me of 1 John 3.13 that says, What manner of love the Father, 1 John 3, verse 1, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. When Christ returns... The dead in Christ are going to rise with new bodies. And those of us who are alive and in Christ are going to be metamorphosed. Our bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies like His. That's part of our glorious inheritance. That's what's going to live forever. So no matter 
the difficulty we go through with our present bodies, whether we're sick or we're just getting old or we're getting slighted on the job, those problems won't even compare to the beautiful things God has in store for us. Are you glad about it? Verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation of God is waiting for that day. We're waiting. The earth is waiting. The planets are waiting. The angels are waiting for that day. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I believe that creation is God's tool. He subjected it in hope. That is, He, subject, he subjected it to use it for His hope or His intended purpose. His plan. What you hope for, you plan for. And God's plans and hopes must submit to... Uh, creation must submit to God's hopes and plans. Ultimately, all of creation will be purified by God's glory as His people are redeemed. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. There's a, the Odin again, those sorrows. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. But why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Birth pangs, sorrows. As a male, I've not experienced that, but I understand some of the greatest pain a human being can go through is having to give birth to a child. Would any women testify that that is pretty tough stuff? Before there was all this medical help. It's tough stuff, right? And yet, there's no greater joy. I understand that the intensity of the pain soon fades with the relationship that develops with that new one that comes into the world. But it's well remembered next time you have another child. Ooh, I remember this. How did I forget this? The sufferings of this present time. God's drawn a parallel with birth pangs and, and a new life coming. He's drawn a parallel between that Natural sequence of events. And all of us came into the world that way. It relates to every single one of us. To what we're in as a church, as His people. Struggle. Perseverance. Endurance. Persecution. The threat of death. Perhaps even death. Turning the other cheek. Forgiving those who despitefully use you. Struggle. Push! (laughs) 
One of the simplest sermons I ever preached was entitled Push. And um, we were worshiping at Country Love Theater, and the county graciously gave us two months. We've been in there for over six years. One day we got a notice from our county judge at the time. Two, in 30 days, we need for you all to be out. And I appealed, and so they granted us 60 days to get out. And this building was already under construction, and so we went into emergency mode, which is not something we do as a church, but we had no choice. We had to get this thing done. Well, we actually needed another month. And so that extra month, this place wasn't ready. We had problems with the electricity and other things. We met in a school. Is it Bacchus? Emma Robertson. We met at Emma Robertson. And uh, with all this busyness going on here, you know, as the pastor didn't have much time to study, meditate, even pray. I mean, it was just, it was, it was time to work. There's a time for everything and it was a time to work. But the Lord just gave me this word, push! <laughs> we can make it. We can do it. We just have to push. And of course, we did a parallel between the building and to the things in our life that, you know, sometimes it's dark, it's just before dawn. Sometimes you just want to quit, but if you just push a little while longer, you'll make it. Well, that kind of parallels with this, with this principle of birth pangs, that, that God wants His people to push because the glory ahead of us is far greater. I mean, what we're going through now or what Christians are going through elsewhere in the world is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that comes. Not worthy. In the Bible is a man named Jabez. Popular books made this man famous, the prayer of Jabez. His name means pain. And part of his prayer is, oh God, don't let me cause pain. And God blessed him. But I think his, what happened was the delivery in bringing him to the world was so rough on his mother that she memorialized the pain and didn't experience the joy of having a child. But under normal circumstances, a mother who's mentally healthy and spiritually well does, not re, does, doesn't, does never mention to their child what they went through to bring him or her into the world. Let's honor the mothers in the house. Why aren't they reminded? Why don't our mothers remind us? You know what I went through for you. I brought you into the world. I take you out. Because that glorious baby isn't worthy to be compared to the pain that brought it into the world. All the men are real quiet right now. Yes. Why does God use labor pains to illustrate His point? In the Old Testament, on several occasions, He uses labor pains as an analogy, the serious reality of birth pains, to illustrate the urgency of His dealings with His people and the urgency of their need for Him. In Psalm 48, 6, after addressing His enemies, God says that fear and pain will overtake them like a woman in labor. When those pains hit you, there's no going to the store shopping for a loaf of bread. I mean, it's, it's, it demands your attention. 
Isaiah 21.3, after hearing and seeing judgment coming in his day, Isaiah said, pangs have taken a hold of me as the pangs of a woman in labor. Sorrow gripped him for his people. Jeremiah 4.31, in calling the Israelites to repentance, Jeremiah predicts that they will wail like a woman in labor. He also mentions these principles in, in this, this analogy in 6.24 and 13.21. In Jeremiah 22:23, he predicted a coming judgment upon Lebanon, which is known for its gracious, graciously tall cedars, of a time when in God's judgment it would no longer appear to be gracious and beautiful because it would experience the pangs of a woman in travail. You know, there's a time to be pretty and look good, and there's a time to have a baby. Jeremiah 30, verse 6, talks about men suffering like a woman in labor. Hosea and Micah have similar passages of these that we've just mentioned. Why birth pangs? Why the earthquakes? Why does God allow the calamities, the disasters, the hurricanes? He subjected the earth to futility. It's not as though He's saying, all right, we'll call you Katrina and we'll call you Rita. No, He subjected the planet to disorder so that man would realize his frailty, the futility of, of him being able to protect himself against all foes, his failures, his vulnerability, his wickedness, his weakness, and his mortality. I understand there's no atheist in a tornado. Man needs to understand his need to repent. His heart needs to be softened. And God's kindness leads, leads us to repentance. But sometimes that kindness is wasted by people that don't appreciate it and they need something a little more harsh. I personally believe that he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and in the face of a natural disaster, there are thousands of people we will see in heaven. When did you get saved? Well, there was this thing called Katrina. I cried out to God for help and He helped me and forgave me. Jesus, save us! Jesus used the suffering of childbirth and the resulting joy to describe His death and resurrection to His disciples. Look at John 16. and Keep your hand there in Romans 8. Let's look at John 16. Just a little known biblical topic called birth pangs. John 16, verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask Him, and He said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? And this is a statement He had said earlier. A little while and you will not see Me. And again a little while and you will see Me. They wondered, what does that mean? In a little while you won't see me. In a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice 
and your joy no one will take from you. He's talking about his crucifixion. There were people in the world that were real happy about that. This guy upsetting our man-made religion. This guy messing with the injustice we're trying to put upon people and um, not going through our plumbing and saying He's the way and He's the Son of God. We're glad. We're going to put an end to Him. So for them, His death was a day of joy. For His followers, His death was a day of sorrow. But like a woman in labor who sorrows, who hurts, weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. For the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross. For the joy set before her, a mother will push that baby out. And so with the resurrection, His disciples were happy and the enemies of Christ were sad because they had failed to stop the movement He began. So you see the parallel of sorrow preceding joy. So in answer to the mid-tribbers and the post-tribbers, if the church does go through tribulation, and it's going through tribulation, I don't know where it fits in the great tribulation scenario, but Christ will preserve us. Bottom line, in the end, joy is coming. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face all sorrows will erase. And when we've run this race till we see Christ, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. So if gas goes up to $18 a pint, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. In Zimbabwe, which is under a cruel dictatorship, their currency has devalued so much to when Summer left that country a couple months ago, it was 93000 of their dollars to one of ours. Just, and there was a day, I remember years ago, when it was two of ours to one of theirs. But the people are persevering. They're pushing. And of course, with the devaluing of currency comes this huge inflation. And they're still giving to support the work of God in their nation. When a church takes up an offering, it takes hours to count it. Because it's millions of useless dollars. They're pursuing, though. They're pursuing. They're not talking about the good old days. They're pushing because it will be worth it all. <laughs> Amen. They're not fleeing their country. Back to Romans chapter 8. Alright, you've got that. Hold your hand there. We've we got to look at one other place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Chapter 4, he's comforting us with words about the Lord's return and the assurance of our resurrection. 
Chapter 5 deals with the meanwhile. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. There used to be a ranch somewhere off of Davis Road, wasn't it? Called, it had an arch over the gantry. And the name of the ranch was Meanwhile. I like that. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile. Chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves, you yourselves know that perfectly, no, for you yourselves know perfectly <laughs> that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. But when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day will not overtake you should so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Hallelujah. So when the Lord returns to judge the wicked, for them it will be sorrow. For us, we'll be on the other side. Back to Romans 8. And closing. Likewise, the Spirit, verse 26, also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit will help us pray even if it's just a groan. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good. Everybody say, all things. things. Work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. So not only are we the children of God, but we are also the heirs of God. Not only are we the heirs of God, but we're also going to receive redeemed bodies. Not only that, we've been called by God. Not only that, those who are called by God according to God's purposes, everything in their life is going to work out for good in the long run. Because we've been foreknown. We've been predestined. Our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And He is our elder brother. And those who are predestined and called are justified. And we will be glorified. I'm glad about it. In closing, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a rhetorical question. If God, who created the heavens and the earth, who's so big it blows our mind, if we flew a rocket 500 miles an hour, it would take us over 5 million years to reach the nearest star. That's God who made that. If He's for us, who can be against us? Who? No one. No one. 
He who did not spare his own son for us, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? All right, no one can be against this. And if God gave his son for us, he's not going to hold out on something else. Well, you can have my son, but... I don't know if I'm going to let you have a job. No, he's, I mean, he's going to bless you. He's blessed you with the ultimate blessing already. Verse 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, which is poverty, or peril or sword? As it is written, we are killed for your sake all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, death nor life, death nor life, death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's no tribulation tough enough. No distress stressful enough. No persecution rough enough. And no famine hungry enough to separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen. There's no poverty poor enough. No peril dangerous enough. And no sword sharp enough to cut us away from the love of God. There's no death painful enough, no life long enough, no angels strong enough, no powers evil enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no present problems hard enough, no future threats fearful enough, no mountain high enough and no hole deep enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no distance far enough, no universe vast enough, no created thing large enough to be able to separate us from the love of God. There's no bomb explosive enough, no explosion destructive enough, no weapon deadly enough, and no army strong enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no rifle accurate enough, and no machine gun rapid enough, and no sound loud enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no woman attractive enough, and ladies, no man attractive enough, no temptation pleasurable enough, no problem complex enough, and no genius intelligent enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no scholar smart enough, no argument convincing enough, and no lawyer persuasive enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no debt in the red enough, no fortune rich enough, and no offense hurtful enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no giant belittling enough, no challenge overwhelming enough, no devil divisive enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no music good enough to separate us from the love of God. And there's no music bad enough to separate us from the love of God. There's no sermon boring enough, no preacher stuttering enough, and no comedian and no joke corny enough to separate us from the love of God. It's in Christ Jesus. We stand, please. You have what it takes. The power behind you is greater than the task before us. 
And all of these calamities going on in the world are nothing more than opportunities for us to share the love of Christ. For us, they're birth pangs. A better day's coming. For them, they're birth pangs. Attention getters that if they will submit and cry out to Christ, a better day for them is coming as well. In the meantime, we are to preach the gospel everywhere and when necessary, use words. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior and elder brother, God bless you. Go share His love to the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. I understand it takes $6,000 to ship a container from New Orleans to Romania. And y'all gave $5,630. I haven't, I haven't met with the elders yet, but I have a feeling we'll make up the difference. The church, your other giving will make up the difference. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord.